amazing man of grace. Whenever you touch him, he has wisdom, he has encouragement, he is a wonderful gift to God's church. And a great, let's give him a very big welcome as he comes and brings God's word to us tonight. Toppy. Thank you. Good evening. Well, that's uh, more than uh, pleasantries or greetings. It really is a good evening. Uh, having the joy of worshiping like that uh, to those wonderful songs, excellent words set to beautiful music. And uh, seeing all that you're doing here, it's a joy to be here. So thank you. I'm going to read you a few Bible verses, so you might want to turn there. This is from Joshua chapter 5, and from verse 13. It says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow, they shall blow the trumpets. Well, um, it really is a joy to be here, and uh, thank you so much to you, Guy and Heather and the whole team. I love what the Lord is doing here, very moving those uh, videos, and uh, just, it's amazing, very helpful because very quickly it gives you a feel for what this fam God is doing through this family of churches. And uh, I, for me, it's a huge privilege to be here, to come pretend like I know what I'm talking about, and uh, just to share from the Word of God. For those of you that are watching at home, let me say good evening to you. I'm glad that technology can be leveraged for gospel advance, so it's good that you get to join with us and those of you watching by TBN also. Uh, you know, camping is not something that I do. <laughs> I would have, but you know, I'm a Nigerian and we're not allowed. So, uh, <laughs> we don't, yeah. So I, I, the, the only time I ever camped, as I remember it really, was uh, in the stonely days. We would come, we would camp. It was exciting and very strange to me. I kept saying to my wife, but we have a house though. But we have a house though. We should live in the house. But eventually one catches the fun of it. It's, I'm, I'm not real big on camping. In fact, I, I, I'm embarrassed to say even these next few days I get to be with you. I'm not on site just because I want to kind of uh, live because um, <laughs> but it's, it's good to be here. I, I, my favorite story when it comes to people camping, whenever I have an opportunity to be in context like this, I always remember the story of the, uh, the, the old, it's called the old English woman, kind of like in her 80s, 70s, 80s, who was going to go to a campsite. And, uh, but you know, when you're that kind of age, you just want to be sure that everything's going to work, everything is, you know, where are the toilets and all of that. And she was just a little concerned about this. Where would the toilets be, proximity? And so she decided she would ride to the campsite and say to them, you know, would you, you know, how far is the toilet from where I'm going to be staying? And so on. But she's a sweet, dainty, 
peach of a lady. So she writes this letter, and when she writes it, dear Mr. Manager campsite, you know, uh, da, 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 da. just wanted to know how far is the toilet. And then she thought the word toilet is just a little, it's just a little too much, you know. She's, she's a delicate, sweet thing, the word toilet. So she thought of a different word to use. And so she used the word, she thought she would use the word bathroom commode, which was a very old word they used for toilets in those days, bathroom commode. So she changed the word, dear sir, da, 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 da. how far is the bathroom commode from the... And then she thought, you know, it's just still too... Nah, she just couldn't bring herself to do it. So in the end, instead of writing bathroom commode, she decided to write BC, which stands for B, bathroom, C, commode, BC. Please, how far is the BC from? Well, the campsite manager gets the letter, reads this thing, and for the life of him, he cannot make out what in the world, what is a BC? Goes around, asks everybody, what do you think a BC? Nobody knows what in the world BC is. After a lot of thinking and agonizing, he finally gets it. He's like, I know, BC stands for Baptist Church, he said. <laughs> stands for Baptist. And so he, he writes back to her. Oh, dear Mrs. So-and-so, I'm ever so sorry. It's taking me a while to write back to you. And, uh, but I did get your letter, and uh, I want you to know that uh, there is a BC very close to the camp. It is only nine miles from the camp. <laughs> Said it's capable of seating 250 people at the same time. <laughs> said, I know it's a bit of a distance if you're in the habit of going regularly. <laughs> said, but uh, many of our people go, in fact, they take their lunch with them. <laughs> they make a whole day of it, he said. He said, in fact, they fix the whole thing. The acoustics are so good, you can hear everything going on. <laughs> says, I, I, says, I haven't been for six years, he says. And it pains me, it pains me to tell you I haven't been for six years. But you know, the older you get, it just gets harder and harder, these things, he says. Yeah. But since you're coming, I will be happy to go with you. And I will sit with you. And I will introduce people to you. Because I want you to know, we're a very happy campsite. Well... I drove in here today and uh, I thought to myself, my goodness, what a faithful God we serve. What a faithful God, because it takes me back to those years my children gave their life to Christ in context like this. I came to really know about the grace of God in context like this. And uh, who knows, you might be here today and somebody has brought you, probably not a Christian. Uh, you might be here today, you've been going to this all your life. Could it be? that the God of heaven has a word for you this evening? Could it be that there is a call that the Holy Spirit wants to massage your spirit again for you to believe once again for things greater than you? Could it be that God wants to envelope you in these moments over these days and let kingdom authority flow from his throne onto you, his own, and do something meteoric in your life? Could it be that God in heaven has set this up to set you up, to make a difference in this world so that like David, it can be said of you, you served God in your generation and then died. I like that. When you're done, go. But until you're done, stay and make a difference and see the advance of the kingdom of God. So I believe that there are things that God wants to do over these next few days in your life. And maybe by God's grace, I have the joy of adding some eyedrop worth of something to it. And so, Father, we pray that you would come have your way, Holy Spirit. Come touch lives and change lives and renew visions that have gone dull and bring salvation in all its full-orbed beauty, all its extent to every life here, that at the end of it, we be edified and Jesus be glorified. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. 
and all inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and even on the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? He does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and on earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? It's a, it's a, it's a king who in his arrogance misbehaved and then was humble and came to his senses and spoke these words. So that it begins to even show us that, something, that the kingdom, the concept of the kingdom doesn't begin in the New Testament, but it's right across, it's right, it's right through the scriptures, from the old right into the new. And when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're not talking about a constellation of medieval Gothic buildings suspended in the air someplace. Talking about the kingdom of God, we're not talking about an idea of utopia and uh, something unfathomable, unreachable that we just think about but will never happen. When we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're not talking about a philosophy or a history or, listen, or, or, or mere theology. Theology is important, it's necessary for life because it underpins everything, makes it solid so that when your feelings waver, the truth remains. And when the truth is there, it stops one being unhinged. However, however, knowing about the kingdom, the kingdom is not just about knowing and having information about, about the kingdom. It's about, or, 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 or theology, it's about knowing, experiencing, touching, sensing, feeling, living a life that God has broken, letting the gospel, when it's really snapped inside you, it takes you over and your life begins to be about something greater and grander than you. The kingdom, the kingdom of God is actually, it's reality. It can be seen, it can be touched, it can be sensed. It can be lived out as God intended it to be. It is to be expected, to be extended right through your life, to be encountered daily. So that you can understand, therefore, when the Bible says that you are a kingdom of priests, you and I, kingdom of priests unto our God, it's always been in God's heart that when man hadn't gone, become rebels, gone their own way, to find a, a people that he can put together and put his spirit inside them and make and mold them to become, that's what I always intended it to be, then for other nations to see them and say, we need God. For them to, so, to, to be so bright, to be like a city on a hill that others will see and say, my goodness, that's where we need to go. They'll come to you and say, tell us about your God always been in his heart to, to, to get a, a group of people that will be the model and others will see and come to. And no story is better perhaps that shows you and I that than the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Because you see, when it comes to the kingdom, it is possible to know about it but not experience the fullness of the kingdom. It is possible to be in it and yet not be living it. You're just kind of in it. It's when people have made salvation a destination in and of itself instead of the opening into a huge destiny that God has for a person. And when that happens, they don't live like kingdom agents anymore. They may talk the talk, but they haven't seen, they haven't experienced, or they once did, and have let it go, and the years just tick on by. They're good people, moral people, but you couldn't call them vital kingdom agents. And God wants to turn that kind of thing around because it takes people who know their God and live as kingdom agents to make the difference that God wants in this world. And so it is that he called people, kingdom, make priests unto himself to, so he can teach them his way. And among the many things that he's going to teach them, if I could, I'll call them the keys of the kingdom, plural, keys, keys of the kingdom. Many things that he's going to teach them, I'll just take one for this evening, teach them how to walk with him. By faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to walk with God. Without faith, it is impossible to even really come to God or get to know. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. 
It is the way that, that transactions are made in the kingdom. And if they're going to walk with God, then they need to know how to work with him and deal with him, how the whole thing works. Or else they might be, quote, quote, in the kingdom, but they, never, they, they don't know how to appropriate everything in the kingdom. And so it is calling the Israelites out of Egypt. And what he did there, demonstrating even the gospel from there, taking people from darkness to light, basically what it is, that's the picture for you and I, out of Egypt to Canaan, taking them from darkness to light, taking a motley crew of people and making them into an army, taking those who are slaves and making them sons. And the way that he did it in different ways, first of all, he did it, he delivered them by miracles. He delivered them by miracles. Water, when he sent Moses, water that turned into blood. And when the Nile is being, when Egypt is being sustained by the Nile and the Nile has turned into blood, you know that that is a bad day in the land. Frogs that began to come out, lice and flies and boils coming out of people's uh, bodies. Nature turning all around, thunder. All of this at, at the word of Moses, at the stretch of the rod in his hand. Because I was the rod of God, not just the staff by which he lived life. Something supernatural happened to him way before you know the story well. And in the hands of a short, scared man, God is doing amazing things. And as he's punishing the Egyptians for their way, he is showing the Israelites who he is. The kind of God that he is because they've been hearing stories and telling their children stories for 400 years. And it, listen, the stories had basically become therapy. It's what we say, just makes you good, just makes you get, just, just to move on a little bit. Oh, don't give up, Jesus loves you, move on. And after a while, you know, that's not enough. If he is alive, then you want, you know, then let thy kingdom come. If he is alive, then his kingdom should come. You know, listen to me, at some point in your life, you need to decide that you are going to refuse to let disappointments of yesterday hold you back from what God has set up for you for tomorrow. Because we're all going to face the disappointments. But those who walk with God, they get up nonetheless, and they still stand up Sunday after Sunday, pastor, and boast in Jesus Christ. And they're not making it up. They look to him, and they know him. They've walked with him, read about him. They trust him, and they speak about him. They speak about it. All these miracles, the signs in Egypt. I love one of my favorite ones is it says of Moses that one of the one, one of the signs was darkness. Oh, well, when we think about all the plagues, we don't tend to remember that one. Darkness. It says in Exodus, the darkness was so dark that the people could feel it. Think about that. I mean, the people could feel it. I live in a city. I live in a city and for the most part I'm traveling to cities, so there's light everywhere, all the time. Even in dark times, it's still bright because of light pollution. But however, I've been to some villages that, <laughs> you know, in, in the name of the gospel, I've been to some villages. And then when I get there, I mean, it's really dark, 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 dark. And everybody's as black as I am, so we can't see each other. I mean, really dark. And you, and you know, when you walk with the, with the villagers, oh, they know their way around. You, you, the whole time they're talking, you're just saying, Lord, may I not die tonight? May I not die tonight? <laughs> Darkness that could be felt, hailstones that came. I mean, nature completely turning around. And then, of course, the death of the firstborn. In the end, Pharaoh said, you, you might as well go, 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 go. Now, before I continue, I cannot see my clock here. The clock, the preacher's clock, because I'm a Nigerian, I could be here till Tuesday. <laughs> okay, you laugh, okay. <laughs> One of my favorite ones is the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea. Because they all come out, oh, what a guy. <laughs> Can you turn that clock back a little? I'm joking. They, they, they come out of it. You know, to cross the Red Sea, you and I read that from when we're kids and we're so happy, go Jesus. You know, if you were there, would you have wanted to go in front? I mean, Moses gets there, he takes the staff in his hand, he points at it, and, you know, he said, God, what shall we do, he says, in fact. And God said, why are you asking me? 
Yeah, I have been there before. As a pastor, as a leader, oh, you will have your moments like that where God tells you, lead the people. You're like, we heard from God, prophets. Then you get there, you say, Lord, what shall we do? He's like, why are you asking me? What? How could you say that? <laughs> we, came, we came because you told us to. So why do you, but what do you have in your hand? Instead of looking elsewhere, who you can import into the church to make a difference, what do you have in your hand? What do you have in your hand? For the most part, the average pastor doesn't see what he has around him. He's looking abroad. What do you have in your hand? Said so the staff, he pointed, the whole thing opens. And now, listen now, they would have had to go down into the riverbed. I mean, the whole thing parted. I mean, vertical, water vertical on either side. Would you have wanted to be the first one to go in? I think not. <laughs> you, you go all the way down, and they, they, they had to walk in that. I mean, God would have had to tell that thing in a hurry because they walked on dry land in the middle of the sea. This is unbelievable. Till to, this is just mind-boggling. And they would have had to walk through. You see the fishes, the dolphins, the sharks, whatever, all through. If you were thirsty, I mean, so, just like that, vertical, they walk right through it. Amazing. And when they came out the other side, the Bible says in Psalm 106 so beautifully, when it says, who is like unto thee, O God, who is among the gods, who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, always doing wonders. Why is God doing all these miracles? He's trying to teach them, show them something. He's a God of miracles. They were delivered by miracles. Then they were destined by, prof by, by promises. They were destined by promises, Exodus chapter 6, where God says, Moses, tell the people, I will bring you out from under these burdens, and I will deliver you from this slavery. I will redeem you with my outstretched arm. I will redeem you with my outstretched arm. I will make you my people. I will be your God. I will give the land to you that I promised to your fathers, and I will make it an inheritance. Seven times he says to them, I will, I will, I will. I, you know, he is virtually, you might say, marrying them. He's bringing them to himself. Before he asks them for anything, I will do this for you, says the Lord. Delivered by miracle, destined by promise. And then they were sustained by the supernatural the whole time they were there, out in the, in, out in the wilderness. Manna that came from heaven, 40 years. 40 years, the longest miracle in the Bible. For 40 years, they had food come down from heaven every morning. This may happen over this campsite. <laughs> every morning, you woke up, you didn't have to do anything. You don't have to cook. You just woke up, open the door, just, just take it. You didn't even have to look. It, why, why don't you have to look? It's, it's been 40 years, every morning, without fail. You know, you, you and I became so impressed with the Apple Macs and all these silly things. Oh, very, very, you know, you know it does the job. It never fails. Oh, look, look, look. You, you, we think too small. You think of the God of heaven. For 40 years, it ne not a glitch. It worked for 40 years. Manna from heaven. Spiritual food. They drank water that came out of a rock. What, think about it. Water that came out of a rock. I mean, if you were, you know, if I was God, I'd be like, you know what? Let's just let them dig a well, and the water comes from a well. Everyone gets it. Oh no, not God. From a rock. What? So no one can say, well, they dug a well and they got lucky in the desert. It's a rock. It's a rock. I mean, how much squeezing do you have to do for water to come out of the rock? And then, listen now. The water didn't just drip out. Says in one of the Psalms, Psalm 78, verse 20, says, and the water gushed forth making streams in the desert. So that it's beyond their thinking. They're living in the middle of a miracle. They had the sun. They had the, they, they had the pillar of cloud, uh, uh, the pillar of fire by night. They had the cloud during the day. They were never lost. They knew exactly, they, they were just following that. We just, that's what we're following the whole time. These are people, God is teaching them how to live by faith. We get impressed with GPSs in our car these days, don't we? At the end of the corner, go right. God has been doing it for ages. <laughs> He's been doing it for a very long time. It says this, their slippers never wore out. Their slippers never wore out. 
I mean, I, I, I have two sons. When they were much younger, you know, going to their schools, every new term, you know, you buy them their very good shoes from Tesco. <laughs> two, three weeks in, the shoes have separated from, disintegrated from one another, and they walk for 40 years. It says their shoes never wore out. I mean, what, what, a de- what piece of detail that the Bible would put there? It's, 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 it's a message to you and I. If he could care about their slippers, if God said to them, write a list of things you want me to care about, I don't think they would have put slippers in. And yet he did. He cares. <laughs> and they're not two sparrows so for one penny, yet the Lord knows about all of them. If he knows about the sparrow, how much more you? I, often I wonder, how in the world did they even realize that their slippers haven't worn out. I think they probably sat around the campfire talking, yeah, I remember the days in Egypt. I bought these bought slippers in Egypt, you know. In Egypt, I mean, I've been wearing it now, 37 years, still going. They are good at making slippers, those Egyptians. <laughs> it's exactly what people do sometimes. God, God does, does a, a, an amazing thing. He leads you, guides you, chaperones your life one way or the other. He's taking care of you. And then you end up saying things like, no, 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 I studied hard, that's why I got there. Don't be silly. It is the God of heaven who is blessing you, taking care of you, looking after you. Therefore, you should give him the glory and the praise. Give him the glory and give him all the praise. And yet the Bible says with all these people, God was not pleased. What a, what a, I would never want that to be said of me, to be said about me that God was not pleased with me. Said of David on one occasion, said, the prophet said to him, what you have done, God is not pleased with you. I think I would just like die. Calm down, because the, Jesus, the God we serve, when he comes, he says in you, by the way, I am very well pleased. In your sin and in your mess, he starts off with, I am well pleased. Because he's not pleased or depressed by you, but by his son who lives in you. Can you say amen to that? He says of these people, God says, the Bible says God was not so pleased with them. Why? Because they had no faith in his promises. Psalm 106. They had no faith in his promises. Kingdom agents have faith. Uh, people who just waltz around in the kingdom, often there is no faith there, so they live lives of total pragmatism. And it just, it, they just go with the wind. Kingdom people are people of faith. Where there is no faith, you cannot please God. Where there is no faith, you cannot move on with God. And so these people, God had done these amazing things, all these miracles to boost their faith, and yet the slavery mentality would not get away from them. They were locked into it. They've been slaves for 400 years. It's how they think. So that in the end, although God could get them out of Egypt, he couldn't get Egypt out of them. Would you believe that on one occasion they said, you know what? I th- sometimes I just think of Egypt. I think of the melons, the leeks. I say, oh, now, now they're talking about Egypt like amazing fun. And it wasn't. It wasn't. The good news is that for you and I, wherever we will mix what we have received with faith, it comes alive. And God wants us to be people of faith. You see, I could spend a lot of time talking to you about the theology of the kingdom, and maybe we'll do some of that in one of the other sessions. But I will tell you this. You can know all the theology if the heartbeat of your life is not, is not being fired by the Spirit. You will just live at best a moral life, pay my taxes, don't abuse anyone, sleep in the right bed and die. That's not what Jesus died for. It's not. He died for greater than that. That's why I say, greater work shall you do. Greater work shall you do. I love that prayer that was prayed. Said when I was 20-something years old, God used me to plant the first church. That was too late. There's somebody else here who God, God has put something inside you for his own glory. So by the time you get to the book of Joshua, it's a whole different generation. That whole generation wasted away. After all the miracles they saw, they never made it. They never got to the zenith of their lives. And so they died there. 
And so when Joshua comes up, God says, Moses is there, Joshua come up. Now Joshua, you know, forget everything that has gone past. I'm going to use you. I'm going to speak to you. You, I will use you to get these people to inherit this land from the Euphrates all the way right through. So get up, get up, get up. Time for you to go. He says to him, therefore be bold and be courageous. And don't ever let this word depart from your mouth. Say it, speak it, declare it. Don't, let it, don't, ever, don't let ever let it be silenced from your mouth. Speak it. And so Joshua begins to lead. And as he's leading, things are going well. One or two challenges, he sends out his own spies, everything goes. And then, the Bible says, then they get to Jericho. And Jericho, the wall there, is being locked up because they knew the Israelites are coming. Jericho is shut up. No one could go out, no one could come in. And the Bible talks, tells us that Joshua, sleeping on one occasion, he gets a vision, and God begins to show him how he's going to bring down Jericho. And this is really what I wanted to bring to you tonight, what I felt in my own heart of all the different things that I guess I could have spoken on. It's what I felt the Lord locked me into. That there are Jerichos in people's lives, but the one who brought that Jericho down is still bringing Jerichos down. And wherever people will be open, some things have to be brought down and cleaned up that they can rise up and be the kingdom agents that he wants them to be. And so it is that he brought Jericho down. Jericho represents a huge wall. Get out of your mind uh, the idea of a wall. It's not just a wall. Like, it's not just a wall. It was, it was you know, something huge and formidable, impregnable, insurmountable, undefeatable. And there it is. And you and I, sometimes we face those kinds of things. It is situations that stop your advance. It is challenges and obstacles that refuse to shift. It will not go. And if you give in to it, it will dictate to you how, where the limit of your life will be. It will dictate it. It is relationships that have become so fractured that there's no way of fixing it or putting it back together. It's sometimes physical illnesses that you used to have, you thought by now will be fixed and are not. And, and, and it can just shake your faith. It is mental, it is mental things, thoughts in the mind until the mind is filled like a cesspool of sewage and you, can't, you just can't seem to shake it off. There's voices in the head, voices to the heart that makes you so scared. You dare not even talk to anybody else about it, but the enemy has learned as long as he gets that thing playing in the mind, you never will make a bold step for God. It's habits that define, that defile. It's emotional, it's fears in people's lives. Fear of man, fear of the future, fear of the unknown. It's guilt. When guilt grips the heart, Think from the past that God has forgiven you and said, it's gone, it's done. But still you revisit it every so often. Is it really gone? Is it really gone? Is it really gone? And the enemy is like, okay, if I can just get him doing that, he'll never move on. She'll never move on. In the end, we're talking here about spiritual strongholds. A stronghold is a spiritual reality that is set up to harass a person's soul. They just can't shake it off to hinder their spirit, they can't live or grow beyond a certain point, or to harm their life in some kind of way and bring, oppress, bring oppressive feel upon them. And it often shows its way through destructive habits that, or constrictive mindsets that stops people thinking right and the sense of free is gone from them. That's important what I just, a sense of where you can breathe free. Doesn't mean there are no problems. There are, there are always challenges, but deep inside here, there's peace like a river. That's what the Lord died for, that you can then live out for his glory. But sometimes Jericho is there, standing tall, staring you down, breathing you down, saying this is it for you forever. And if you're not careful, you begin to hear that and listen to that, it will dictate how you walk with God. It will dictate how you give to God. It will dictate everything, everything in your life. Why? A limit has been put there. 
I can't go beyond it. How, how does one get over Jericho's in one's life? First of all, number one, real quickly, we must acknowledge God afresh. We must acknowledge God all over again. It's almost like, you know what, stop. It, 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 the point is this, it's repentance. Not so much from sin, but a changing of one's mind, reorientating back to God and seeing him for who he is, for who he is. Because over time, there's a familiarity that displaces true intimacy. And you find out that I do do the whole God, Jesus, Bible, read daily, church, deal, but it just feels boring and boring and boring. And if you're not careful, you think it's the worship leader's fault, it's the preacher's fault, it's everybody else's fault. Listen, listen. Maybe you need to catch a whole fresh vision of the Lord who saved you and why he saved you and what he saved you from and what he saved you for. It says of Je- Joshua, it says, and Joshua lifted up his eyes, he said, and he saw a soldier. I mean, just a huge warrior, soldier man, standing with a drawn sword in his hand. Drawn sword in his hand. And there he is standing with this sword. And Joshua comes, I mean, this vision, it must have been so huge. I mean, if you went out there and you saw a horse, so huge, it goes like a skyscraper, just one, one leg of the horse, you wouldn't look at that and say, fairly big horse. You wouldn't, well, actually in England you might do. But generally... <laughs> You wouldn't look at it, mm, big horse. No, you'd be like, that's the, ah, how huge, oh my God, that must be God's horse. Joshua comes out and he sees this thing. It's so huge. And, you know, what a wise question. He says to him, just let me know, are you for us or for our adversaries? So that's a good question right there. If ever you meet a problem beyond you, first thing you want to know is, are you on our side? Because that could be good news. But if you're on their side, (laughs) are you on our side? Many years ago, my kids uh, were real young, four, five years old. You know, every so often I'll get them into the car, drive around the, I don't know, you just drive somewhere. You know, on one occasion we're driving on the M25 as we're going, and um, on the other side of 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 the motorway, we saw just a row of tanks. They must have going from one place to the other. Row of tanks, and uh, you could just see them. And I said to my sons, look at the tanks, you know. And like a dad, you know, I would always rev the boys up. Ah, they're shouting in the car. Oh, they're, they're all excited. And then he don't know. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Are they, they are our tanks, aren't they? Because <laughs> nothing would be worse than being invaded and clapping as the people are coming through. <laughs> Are, they, are you for us or for our adversary? And you know what he says? No. Okay, that's not a very helpful answer. You know what, what that no means? I haven't come to take sides. I've come to take over. That's what he's saying. I haven't come to take, I've come to take over. Completely take over. And when Joshua saw this, he fell on his, he worshipped. And most theologians will tell you this seen nothing but the pre-incarnate vision of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ fell on his, fell down and just worshipped. I think that that's what, that's what you and I need to get back to. To get back to the place of acknowledging him, seeing him, loving him, uh, 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 being in love with him all over again and not settling for that which is stale, that which is done. No, 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 faith starts this way. Faith is believing that God is telling the truth. Faith is believing that God is trustworthy. Faith is believing is that God is faithful in all that he does. That's why I love, I love the words of Spurgeon. If I can find it, read it to you real quickly. He says it so beautifully. Can you trust him for your soul's redemption and not rely upon him for lesser mercies? Is not God enough for thy needs? Or is his all-sufficiency too narrow for thy wants? Is his heart too faint? Is his hand too weary? If so, go seek another God. (laughs) You'll never find one. Go seek another God, he says. But if he is infinite, omnipotent, faithful, true, 
and all wise, then why gather abroad to seek another confidence? Why rake the earth to find another foundation? He is sufficient for thee. Can you shout amen to that? He is sufficient. He is sufficient. Acknowledge him again. You need to go back to him. Secondly, real quickly, you need to walk by faith. There's no other way to, you need to walk by faith. You know, when you first meet Jesus and your heart, everything is like goes from black and white to color. You're black. my goodness, where's all this Bible Jesus thing been all my life? You get it now. It's, now you're on a walk with him. Jesus is walking and you're beside him. And for the most part, <laughs> he's probably silent like this walking. And you're there walking beside He's walking. Are you there? One day he stops and looks at you and says, I am God. And he keeps walking. Would you ever forget that moment? You'd never forget that moment. Because he is God. You will never forget that moment. Walking with faith when you know who he is, when you acknowledge him, you will see more of who he is. And walking with faith becomes just that bit easier because you know the one with whom you're walking. Oh, but there are often bad, <laughs> there are faith killers that you and I need to know what they are and avoid. Joshua, Joshua said to the people, we're gonna walk around, we're gonna walk around. They walked around the wall seven times and so on. Now, most people, this is how they walk by faith with Jesus. Day one, oh yeah, here we go. I just, I love Joshua. Don't you like Joshua? People start talking to themselves, you know. I love Joshua. He's a good pastor. He's a good pastor. I mean, he's young. Good new young pastor. I love it. He has a plan, you know. When he told us to walk around, he has a plan. We just love him. That's day one. Day one. Day two. Oh, Joshua, he's the man. He's, Moses was old, wasn't he? Yeah, here we go with Joshua. He's an amazing guy. I just love it. He's a good, very good. Day three. Silent. Be like, you're not talking much. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm just thinking about things. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Day four. Are you still silent? No, no. Well, you know what? Now, you know me. I'm not one to complain. When they say that, it's all gone wrong. By day five, why are we going around? If we want to bring the wall down, we need a hammer. We need a chisel. This is no good. Which Moses were by, by day six, by day seven, they want to leave. That's how, that's basic. I mean, it's so sad. That's how people do sometimes. They just move from one place to another place. And forever they're going around walls. They never see a breakthrough. You and I need to be careful of these faith killers. Number one, negativism. The disposition to always project to the worst case scenario. Oh, there are people like that. It's like a gift to them. It's like a spiritual gift, but it's not a Holy Spirit gift. I don't know where they get it from. Negativism. That's what they are. They will, they will always find a negative in, no matter how positive the whole thing is, they will find a negative. If there isn't one, they'll make one up. Or criticism, the disposition to be preoccupied with the incomplete or the imperfect. You know those kinds of people, when things are not right, they'll be like, you know what, uh, you missed a bit. You could paint a whole wall, you missed a bit. That's the first place they go. They're preoccupied with the incomplete or with the imperfect. Or skepticism, the disposition that is determined to always question but never commits. We need to pray more in this church. We're praying on Thursday. Will you be there? I can't make it. Or cynicism, the disposition that sees every human enterprise as selfishly motivated. Listen, see those things? They kill faith stone dead. They just kill it. No, Joshua, you know what he said to them? <laughs> Chapter 6, verse 10, he says to them, when we go around, I don't want anyone to say a word. <sighs> what a good pastor. <laughs> he basically, in a very nice way, said, everybody, shut up. No negative. He was not going to let them wreck with their mouths what God is wanting to do. So to them, no noise, no talking, no shouting. You need to acknowledge God. You need to walk by faith. You need to obey the last command. 
And the last command was this, shout. The last command was shout, shout. And when they shouted, the walls of Jericho came down. The Bible tells us that it was by faith that the walls of Jericho came down. Of all the things that one could teach on the kingdom, I felt God wanted me to say this. You can never leave faith behind. It's how you do transactions in the kingdom. And so it is, I wonder, maybe there are people here, there might be strongholds. When I was, I grew up with a single mom. My, maybe it's one of the reasons why I have such a heart for single moms, did all the best to bring me up and so on. At the age of about 14, I think it was, I said to her, you know, I want to go and see my dad. I want to go and see my dad. I remember when I was much younger, I'd seen him once or twice. I said, I want to go and see my dad. And I, I did not realize how much that thing would just tear down into my mother. It tore, it just, I mean, she didn't talk for me for three days. When you're a 14 year old, three days, no come. That's a long time. I didn't know what I'd done wrong, what I'd, I, didn't, I didn't understand what was going on. On the third day, she said to me, get your stuff, get your stuff together. She said, you're, you're going to go and see your dad. And what I thought would be a happy moment was not. And I wanted to go, but I didn't want, I just confused. And I grew up, had a pretty sheltered life. She had her own problems, you know, and insecurities and challenges. And I therefore live very sheltered and kind of fearful of everything out there is dangerous. And now suddenly she's like, okay, you can go. And it, it didn't sound good. It sounded awkward and bad. And we had a guy, the driver, she said, he would take you there. And so I went, thank you. I went, got in the car and I went. We got there. Now, I didn't even know my way around. This is in Nigeria, in Lagos, which, you know, I didn't even know my way around that well. I was not streetwise. I finally get to my father's place and uh, I said to the guy, would you stop? I'm going to go in, make sure that they're there before I go. She, he says, I can't do that. I was given straight instructions that when I drop you, I'm to go back. I'm not to stay, wait for you. I mean, just, just the fear that gripped me. I entered into my father's house. My father's fairly wealthy guy, had two houses. One was his offices, one lived in. And lots of children, multiple wives, all of that. I go into the house where they're living, and I see my other siblings, half brothers and sisters, and we recognize each other, and it's quite a moment and such a thing to see a little bit of you in somebody else and all of that. And I said, where is that? They, they said he's next door in the offices. And I could tell there was a bit of a silence in the way they said it. Well, I, I, I went over to see my father. Hadn't seen, I'm 14 years old now. Hadn't seen him since, I don't know, really young. And I got there. I just knew what the moment would be when he saw me. I went into his offices. His secretary there let me go in. I think she saw me and him. She's new, he's one of his sons. I go into the offices into his office, he's sitting down reading his newspaper, his leg is on the table, and he put down the paper and saw me and put the paper back up. Just, I didn't even know what was happening. Nothing was working out the way I thought. When he put it back down, he said to me, what are you doing here? I said, well, I, I said to my mother, I wanted to see you, and I hadn't. He said, you get out of this house. You and your mother, you never come back here. Time to get out immediately. So I had to leave, and there's a, the, the, I will never forget, for just the way I get the kid's mind work, works, the walk from that house all the way to the other one. What would the other children say? They knew that something would not go right. When I got back, they were silent. I said, he said, I can't stay. I had to take my bags and come out. Walk my way back all the way home. I didn't really know my way. It's not like here. Finally get back home. And when I get back to my mother's house, I'm knocking the door. She wouldn't open the door. For two hours... We lived in one of these homes where she, the doors are always locked. Everyone on the street knew that we, they felt that we were a little bit weird because people would come knock our door often and we wouldn't open the door. It's the kind of home that I grew up in. Now I'm on the outside knocking this thing for like two hours. And I know that they're in because I know how the whole thing works. Eventually, she's let, let's tell them to let me in. I come in. And I said to her, she said, why are you back? She said, 
I said, well, he said, I can't stay. She said, well, you cannot stay here. That you asked to see your father, you go back to him. Well, now I'm just crying and pleading because I just don't, didn't understand what was going on. She made me write a long letter saying, I will never ask about him again. I will never talk about him again. And it was only on that basis that I was allowed to stay in that house. Up to that point, I lived a fairly, what I thought, okay life. And in one afternoon, everything came apart. And I think I understand when a person says they, they have, when a person has gone through or going through rejection, I know what that looks like. And yet it was during that time in my life that I pick up the book, begin to read about God, and everything began to change, went to a church, gave my life to Christ, and everything, everything turned around. And what was set up by the enemy to be a stronghold, to put a limiter on my life, he removed it. And you know, many years later, in moments of prayer, he would, there would be moments of being called to pray. I wouldn't even know why, but I felt to go out. He would remove another layer and another layer until you get to the point where I'm free. I'm free. Now, I know I've gone way beyond time, and I, but I just want us to pray. I, I apologize. I think some of you need to go and get the children. But the great psychiatrist is the Holy Spirit, and he knows where the problem is. He does. He has a way of taking his finger, pointing down, and pointing to the whole play, and he touches it. You know why? He is the great revealer. He reveals. And when he reveals it, I say, this is, this is the constriction point. You don't have to go forever. It, 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 might, it might happen in church. It may happen in counseling. It's the Holy Spirit. He is the great psychiatrist. Not just that. When he reveals it, then he begins to release, bring release into a person's life. And when he does that, he begins to restore, restore restore. He puts himself inside and all the pipes begin to move again. And that which has been stayed and, and, and nutted up, he begins to release the whole thing. And I believe he wants to do that today. Don't you say here today, I'm a pastor, I can't be, I'm, I'm a pastor's wife, I'm in the prayer team. Listen, do what you need to do before the Lord and say, Lord, let kingdom authority come into me. Wash me through, flush me out, set me up, start me up again. I'm going to ask the worship band to come up. Shall we stand up together? Guy, is there anything I need to do? I know that if you have to get your kids, uh, please do. I apologize for taking so long, but it was, it was your fault for making me tell so many stories about camping. 